If there's ever a time where we needed to pull together as believers of Christ and, and unite and try to strengthen and make the world a better place, it's now. Mm-hmm. And that, that sounds like he's yeah. preaching our message. <laughs> there's one body, one church, one spirit, one hope. The realities of the faith, the ra- realities that unify us are already there. Christ praying for unity. What should we be praying for? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the one prayer request of Jesus. Think about it in the Bible that we actually have a say in whether or not it comes to fruition or not. I think in what God has done in you guys in uh, in this podcast and the, the multitude of folks that you're reaching, the diversity, whatever God intended when he's, when you started this, he's able to bring it to completion. Hey everybody, welcome to the Whole Church Podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Joshua Knoll, here with your other co-host, TJ Tiberius Juan Blackwell. Hello. I'm say they don't, they don't get a hello today. <laughs> and today we're also here with uh, another extremely special guest, uh, Dr. Michael Heiser. He is um, the host of the Naked Bible podcast, the author of um, The Unseen Realm, which sold like over 100,000 copies. So you probably know him or have heard, least heard of him. Um, man, let's see what else. You, you worked with uh, the Logos program for a while and you're in Jacksonville now, right? Yeah, I'm in Jacksonville now. We spent the last... We've been here a little over a year, but we spent the preceding 14 years uh, working for Logos. Um, yeah, you know, just I did a variety of things there, but we were there for for a good chunk of time. Yeah, I could probably take up a whole podcast just talking about things you've done or are attributed yeah, to the, you in the, some way. All the inside baseball there, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, yeah. I, before I forget, I have a I have a question for TJ now that I've heard his middle name. Oh, yeah? Uh, this, the Tiberius is, is that from Star Trek? James Tiberius Kirk? No, it's that- <laughs> so it, it's kind of a story. Uh, I go by TJ, and you okay. know most people just don't. And I'd go by Tiberius, you know. <laughs> <laughs> most people don't well. know what it stands for, so I'll let them guess. Mm-hmm. And one time, someone who should have known couldn't remember it, so I was like, "Okay, I'll just let you guess." So they just started guessing names. And, uh, you know, it was just no, 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 whatever. Uh, they got to Tiberius and I hesitated because I was like, why <laughs> would that be my name? But they said Tiberius and I hesitated. So they thought that was it. So that they just, and then Josh decided my middle name should be Juan. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it's completely fabricated that his, his name well, is TJ, but it's not well, Tiberius. That, that's a shame, though. That is a shame. Just, I agree. I'm kind of disappointed too. <laughs> um, man, we're going to be talking about all kinds of stuff today. Um, Dr. Heiser really focuses on, uh, well, he's an Old Testament scholar, so he focuses a lot on Old Testament, but also um, sort of the spiritual realm. Um, well, he will talk about the Deuteronomy 32 worldview, which he'll probably explain some of what that is later on. And I'm really excited to have the conversation. But before we do, we'd like to review some of our audience engagement. Uh, recently, we asked the silly question, uh, what is your favorite rodent? And uh, I was surprised to learn there's a correct answer. Um, Niles Merritt said Splinter. So he he was right. Yeah. Uh, For those who don't know, Splinter is the uh, Ninja Turtles instructor who is a rat. So Niles wins. Uh, So with that, we'll we'll transition into today's silly question. Um, And Dr. Heiser, me and TJ will answer first, just kind of give you time to think about it. But uh, the question is just going to be, if you had to recast the apes, in Planet of the Apes, as any other animal, which animal would you choose? Um, TJ, would would you like to go first? Yeah, I'll go first. Bears. 
all bears. That might be That'd correct. Be way that scarier. Be correct, but sir. This is so easy. Man. Just huge, <laughs> giant dogs. Terrifying. That'll be my answer, dogs. But that's just because I, I want a planet full of dogs when I come back. I, I'm going to be right. more precise. I want pugs. Just pugs. I have pugs. <laughs> just pugs. Planet of the pugs. <laughs> Hashtag yeah, perfect no movie. breed. <laughs> yeah, that would be horrifying. Look, I would I would definitely watch that. <laughs> do they get to do, yeah. do they learn to walk on their hind legs? Like do the bears and dogs get to learn how to walk on their hind legs or only if they can. I, mean, I assume just like mm. the movie, so well apes can walk on their hind legs, Josh. They can already do that. Yeah. I mean bears can too. All right. But so can they, but can can they do equations like pugs? That's that's the question. No one ever trains a bear. Everyone's too scared. I bet they could. But uh, one thing we believe is extremely useful for church unity, which is the actual topic of the podcast, uh, <laughs> is to hear one another's stories. Uh, would you mind giving us a snapshot of your testimony? Gosh, a snapshot. Um, yeah, I, I, I came to the Lord when I was a teenager, specifically a sophomore in high school. Uh, I had no uh, spiritual context or upbringing, so it was just sort of we were nothing. Uh, my I came to find out later though that my extended family there's there are a number of believers in there, so I'm sure they you know they prayed for us kids, but there was nothing immediate. And providence is a big deal in in a lot of things I do, especially my fiction and, and whatnot. And part of that is is my own story, but. My first segue into the actual gospel was I met a kid who lived next door to my grandma. We were both nine years old. And his mom was a single mom. They had, he had three siblings, so she had four kids. Two of them had cystic fibrosis. Her husband had left her because she became one of these crazy Christians. And they just struggled mightily. Um, but whenever I was over at my grandma's, which was quite a bit, you know, this I would get invited to their house, like for, you know, family devotions or something. They'd invite me to church and youth group. So it was really through them that that I was first exposed to the gospel. This guy became my best friend, you know, growing up through high school. And why was I at my grandma's? Because my parents had gotten divorced when I was five and my brother was three, and so <clears throat> my mom had to work, and so we were shoveled off to grandma's an awful lot. But again, that was that was completely providential. So that's, that was my first exposure to the gospel. And again, through this family, I eventually, you know, visited the, the church where they were going to church when I was in high school and heard the gospel and went home and it just wasn't spectacular. It just clicked in my head. You know, I was the good kid. I was the, the boring one, but I didn't have any trouble understanding that, that I wasn't God, you know, that I had offended God. I was a sinner and I needed you know, I, ne I needed to have my sins forgiven, and that was as simple as that. You know, I, I asked the Lord to do that, told him that I believed that Christ was the way of salvation, and went to bed. And that was that, you know, but it was it was a life-changing thing. I just had, I just, you know, everything it sort of in my head and, in, you know, internally just was, was different. You know, I had an appetite for Scripture, and you know, read my Bible, but I was the only kid in, in my family that was a believer. So my parents thought I had joined a cult. 
you know, which led to some off really interesting episodes in life and confrontations and whatnot. But, you know, yeah, in, in a nutshell, you know, that that's it. I had no direction. Um, I, I could fill, I could literally fill an hour with the, the crazy dumb stuff that I did as far as my educational journey. It's even hard to call it a journey. Uh, basically, I, I'm the guy who ought to be speaking to youth groups about what not to do. Like to get <laughs> to get through school and prepare for life, <laughs> but the reality of it is, I went through a whole series of you know crucial decisions in life, and, and even up and up until today, even even you know a year or so ago, coming here, where something became apparent to me that you know it looked like I was supposed to do this. Lord, should I do this or not? And and I, it has always been the same pattern. Every other option gets closed off, and there's only one door left open. So I like to say, the Lord just does that with me throughout my life so that I don't screw it up. You know, it's like, <laughs> if we give the guy two doors, he's going to pick the wrong one. Right. <laughs> so, so let's just cut everything off, <laughs> close all the exits, you know, that, that sort of thing, so he can't get this wrong. Uh, and life has just been that way. It's been very convoluted. Um, you know, again, I could fill an hour with just like, you got to be kidding, you know, stories about how I went from the nine-year-old, you know, who first hears the gospel to the, to, to where I'm at now. It's, it's almost, you could make a comedy out of it really, but um, that's it in a nutshell. So it wasn't just a one-time moment when you were nine and then you were perfect. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you uh, no. just, just, uh, this might be in the speed round. I'm not sure. If it is, TJ can skip it later. Um, would you say you believe in more of a continual sanctification rather than a one-time sanctification then? Since Yeah, I, I, feel like I think who... sanctification is, is a process. I, I think this yeah. is why Scripture describes it in in two different ways. There's an already sanctification, and there's an ongoing not-yet sanctification. So, you know, Paul or other writers can use you know, in Greek, the aorist tense, which is a snapshot, you know, action, or speak of things that are already accomplished. You know, you have been cleansed, you have been this, you have been that, you, you know, he, you've been translated into the kingdom of his dear son, then he'll start talking about the kingdom yet future, you know, it, it, it's this kind of thing. And I think the reason is because when when we come to the Lord, that that is the, the inauguration event to becoming what we are, but what we're actually not yet, because the, the final consummation of all of these things, whether it be the kingdom or our own sanctification or, you know, a number of things in biblical theology, they only get, they only reach the capstone when the Lord returns and we have the day of the mm -hmm. Lord and we have the, the new Eden, which is what God is trying to work back toward anyway. So I, I certainly think it's, it's, it's in progress, but it's not, um, it's not something that we can't talk about as, in God's mind, sort of a a more concrete thing, you know, the way he, he, he perceives it and looks at it. Um, you know, so I think that's the reason why you get this dual language in Scripture. Oh, yeah. It's um, it's really fascinating how many things in the Bible, when you look at it, are um, or how many facets of our faith are just that already but not yet. Yeah, um, yeah it, it's a recurring pattern. Yeah. If anybody doesn't know what we're talking about, I, I'm pretty sure you just Google already, not yet, and it'd probably pull up <laughs> yeah. tons of explanations yeah. about that one. Um, 
<laughs> but uh, so next, we kind of already hinted at this for the next couple of questions. I'm just going to be really direct. Mm-hmm. Um, how would you, if you had to just describe what the Deuteronomy 32 worldview is, it's sort of your uh, more spiritual view of the Bible and those who wrote the Bible. Um, how, how would you just describe that for, to people? Mm-hmm. This is the Old Testament worldview that lies behind Paul's theology of principalities and powers. Um, you know, we we read these things in, in Paul. You know, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but principalities, powers, rulers, and darkness, and all you know these these supernatural forces and beings. But how many of us ask, well, where did Paul get that? Some people, if you ask them that question, will will think of Daniel ten. Where you have the the princes, you know, prince of Persia, prince of Greece, that are duking it out with Michael, you know, the the prince of Israel. Uh, so we have these supernatural entities attached to geopolitical empires, and you'd think, oh, that's a good answer. That's that's probably what Paul was thinking, and and it was. But then that just asked the question, well, where did Daniel get that? Because Daniel is set in the sixth century, you know, regardless of when it was written, it's set in the sixth century. So where did he get it? And the answer to that is Deuteronomy 32, specifically verses 8 and 9. But there are other parts of Deuteronomy that tie into those two verses. And I, I'll, I'll confess, you know, I didn't see this until I was a doctoral student. And it wasn't because I was stupid or anybody was trying to, like, be sinister and keep me from seeing it. It's largely because our English Bibles do not, at those at Deuteronomy 32.8, do not incorporate what the Dead Sea Scrolls say. Or for that matter, what the Septuagint says. The Septuagint is the ancient Greek translation of the Old Testament that was used by Jesus and the New Testament writers most of the time. Not all the time, but most of the time. So ESV incorporates the Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, NLT is tracking on it. NRSV. I mean, there are a few major translations that will do this, but Deuteronomy 32, 8, 9 in ESV says something like, when the Most High divided up the nations and they fixed their borders, okay? Basically, when the nations became the nations. Well, what nations? You know, when, when did that happen? Well, that's, that's Babel, okay? This is when the languages were confused. Up until that point, humanity is sort of a block. And then they get divided up and you get the list of nations in Genesis 10, which is the backdrop for Genesis 11. I mean, this isn't a brain teaser. But, but when he did that, Deuteronomy 32.8 says, he, God, divided them up according to the number of the sons of God. But Israel is Yahweh's portion. Jacob is his allotted inheritance. And so this is a, it's an odd verse. Most Bibles don't even say that. It'll say he divided them up according to the number of the sons of Israel. Well, there, there wasn't an Israel at the point. This is Babel. Israel doesn't even exist yet. So the the Dead Sea Scroll stuff is is really important, you know, for this idea. And here's the idea: if you look at the inheritance language of verse nine and the the whole dividing up and distribution and this this sort of thing, the parallel passage to this passage is Deuteronomy four nineteen and twenty. And there it says that the host of heaven that Israel's not supposed to worship has been allotted to the nations, you know, to to the Gentiles. And that host of heaven is referred to as Elohim in Deuteronomy 17.3. You get the same allotment language in Deuteronomy 29.23-26. through 26. You, of course, then run into it in Deuteronomy 32. And Deuteronomy 32.17 has Israel worshiping these other gods, these other you know, supernatural beings, when they shouldn't have because they're not allotted to them. 
So what this means is that the Deuteronomy 32 worldview is a way of, of, of encapsulating a judgment by God at Babel of humanity. God divorces himself from humanity. We've come out of the flood. I repeated the Edenic commands, be fruitful, multiply, overspread the earth, you know, all this stuff. And so what do you do? Genesis 11. Let's build a tower lest we be dispersed. In other words, lest we obey, let's let's find another project to do. Yeah. <laughs> and, and God says, no, we're not going to do that. You know, and, and the tower is not innocent because everybody agrees it's Babel, it's a ziggurat, which is part of a temple <laughs> complex, which you build to, again, barter with the deity on your own terms and all this is this there's a lot more to see here and so god judges humanity and says well enough enough of that you know if you don't want me to be your god you don't want to listen fine i'm gonna i'm gonna allot you to the sons of god to other lesser supernatural beings of the heavenly host we'll allot you to them and them to you and this is the old testament explanation for why the nations have other gods why they have pantheons because up until this point Everybody, you know, sort of knows in the Genesis narrative that there's one God. I mean, you you don't get any whiff of idolatry. Okay, you don't you don't you get any sense of this. But then when the nations get divided, this is this is the beginning of of that chaos. And this passage gets referenced, you know, in other places. So this is the Old Testament explanation for why this set of conditions exists. We learn from Deuteronomy thirty two seventeen that these other gods solicit Israel. Who, which was Yahweh's portion, into worshiping them, that's a no-no. We learn from Psalm 82 that these other gods sow chaos in their nations. They enslave people. and they take worship for themselves that doesn't belong to them. The whole thing just descends to hell in a handbasket. You know, this, is, this is why in the Old Testament, the rest of the story is Israel against the gods, Israel against the nations, you know, Yahweh against the gods and all this. Because what does God do after he divorces the nations, you know, just flicks them away? He says, okay, here's what we're going to do. I'm giving up on humanity, but I'm not giving up on the plan. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to call one guy in Ur of the Chaldees, some guy named Abram, and his wife can't have children, so she's perfect. Because I'm going to create a new humanity, just like I did back with Adam. This humanity will be the new Adam. It'll exist because I brought it into existence. And from this point on, I am going to use them as the conduit for everything I want to do to restore Eden. They will be the gatekeeper. They will be the way for all these other nations to come back. Your seed, God tells Abraham, will ultimately be the essential thing to bless these nations. We're not. You know, we're, they're on the shelf right now. They are not in relationship to me. And this is the story of the rest of the Bible until you get you know, re redemption. It leads to something scholars call cosmic geography. That is the notion that Israel is Yahweh's turf. That means that the nations around Israel, everywhere else, the nations of Genesis 10, are under dominion of some other power. And so we have spiritual warfare. This is the kernel of spiritual warfare on a geopolitical level, emerge from Babel. And this is why Naaman asks for dirt after he gets healed, you know, by the prophet. Can I take some dirt back with me? Because I got to go into the temple of Ramon and it's you know, going to be kind of icky because I, I now I know that Yahweh is the God of all gods, but this is part of my job. So can I have some dirt with him? 
I'm not going to sacrifice to any other God. He wants an attachment to Yahweh because that's where his faith is now. That's why, that's why David complains about when he gets kicked out of Judah. Oh, you know, how can I, how can I pray to, to God? And he's not denying omniscience. He just has this sense that to be in a right relationship with God, I need to be in the world. That's why the Philistine yeah. you know, with, with the Ark of the Covenant, when they go back to the temple of Dagon and they find Dagon reduced to a, a silly stuff, you know, with his arms and legs cut off. It, it's why the, the pre, it, it, we, this throwaway line in 1 Samuel 5, when they, it says, the priests of Dagon unto this day do not walk over the threshold of Dagon. <laughs> well, why not? Because they know that, that this is where Yahweh had victory. <laughs> we're not taking any chances. This is Yahweh's territory now. So we're going to like do our thing, but we're not walking over that place, even in his own temple. Yeah. We're not doing it. Yeah. So there's all sorts of this, this bleeds into the New Testament where Jesus goes in certain occasions, what the conversations he has, the confrontations he has with both people and supernatural you know, beings, the demons. I mean, we, we, it's totally invisible to us for the simple reason that we never see Deuteronomy 32, 8, and 9. There's, there's a, just a truckload of stuff packed into that. Daniel 10, Paul's theology of principalities and powers, which are connected to the nations, okay? He's the apostle to the <laughs> gen. Of course he yeah. is, because it's the Deuteronomy 32 worldview. You know, <laughs> this is his job to bring them back into the fold with the gospel. Scripture has this, this, this really wonderful coherence about it, <laughs> about this worldview that we are completely cut off from because we, we, we missed where it was launched mm. and therefore we miss, you know, the succeeding places, the ideas that emerge, you know, from it. Uh, so it's, it's really unfortunate to me. It's one of the coolest things uh, in scripture. Paul links the return of Jesus to the fullness of the Gentiles. Okay. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's an important concept. He, he links the, the, reawakening of Israel to the same thing. He links the resurrection to the, to the nullification, the stripping away of the authority of the principalities and powers. I mean, these are not throwaway lines. There's some really dense and, and cool theology that attaches to things we know about as Christians, like the resurrection. This is a whole other layer as to the impact of that on cosmic evil that, that we just never get to. Hey everyone, we just want to take a quick break to let you know all the many ways that you could support the Whole Church Podcast. Hey, on... hey Josh, that's going to take too long. No, uh, okay, well, could you list all the ways that you can think of for mm -hmm. them to support us in 10 seconds or less? Yeah. Uh, subscribe to the show wherever you listen. Rate us on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. Support us on Patreon. Our cash app is in the show notes. Subscribe to the newsletter and rate the episode. All right, yeah, that, that sounds and good share to share the episode. I guess we should let them get back to it then. Mm -hmm. huh? All right, y'all enjoy. Yeah, yeah, and um, man, you, <laughs> you, for those who don't know, he is extremely intentional with his words because I'm picking up on stuff that I'm like, man, he said, uh, the way. I heard gatekeepers thrown in there. I heard a lot of the stuff as I, I follow your podcast that I've been hearing for years, and I'm like, man, I want to talk about so much of that but um it's interesting you touched on the um cosmic geography right mm -hmm. and um 
as a church unity podcast to kind of tie it back to our theme, um, I, I wonder because we always like to know how much room there are for people disagreeing with us, right? Mm-hmm. Um, how much room is there for people to disagree with this kind of worldview mindset when a lot of what Jesus did, it just makes so much more sense when you understand that, mm-hmm. you know, originally God's people were tied to that land and Jesus kind of was able to circumvent that, I guess, might be how you would word that. But um, so how important is well, it then, to Christianity that, I mean, can people disagree and still? Yeah, it, it you know, I, I never say. And I, you know, if you've listened to the podcast, you know, you kind of know what's coming here. You know, I, I never say that. You know, you thought the gospel was A, and Mike says it's B, or you're going to miss the gospel if you don't yeah. read Mike's books. Well, that's just ridiculous. I mean, both of those things are ridiculous. You don't need any of this to understand that the gospel and its simplicity and its clarity. Um, if if you don't have it in your head, though, there there are significant concepts. And certainly really important passages that you don't have a prayer of understanding when it comes to biblical theology. Now, to me, that ought to matter because this thing that is sitting in your lap or on your iPod or your phone at church, (laughs) you refer to it as the word of God. So that ought to be a sufficient motivation to like, no, understand what it says. But again, you know... I've I've been drag kicking and screaming a long time ago to the realization that most Christians are not like me. Okay, they, they they're not nerds. They're not Bible nerds. And that was a hard lesson to learn, <laughs> but I've learned it. You know, so so none of this is essential. You know, to to anyone's faith. Um, I would say that the only thing that gets somewhat close to that is is kind of the the elephant in the room sort of question is. We do need to be careful about thinking we can reject what the Bible teaches about the supernatural world and still think that we're honoring Scripture and, frankly, honoring the Lord. And and that might sound a little odd, but but the reality is, uh, and you know, I was in this bucket too until, like, in, in my book Unseen Realm, I really I relate my watershed event, you know. The Psalm 82 event oh, yeah. in graduate school. So up until that point, I'm in the same bucket. So I'm not taking shots at anybody. I, I could easily shoot at myself, you know. But we, I was approaching, you know, scripture like, okay, there's this set of propositions like there's a God, there's a Trinity, Jesus, the deity of Christ, the virgin birth, the resurrection, you know, all these major things that are core to the yeah. Christian faith. They're all supernatural acts. I don't know how any of them work. <laughs> Like even, right. even to ask the question is a dumb question because that that sort of suggests I could scientifically examine them, you know. Well, they're, I'm sorry, but they're not subject to reproducible testing and all this the scientific method. It's just it's not even in the ballpark, okay. But then there's this other set of supernatural things like the principalities and powers and the Deuteronomy 32 worldview and demons and possession and you know all all this kind of you know Genesis six all this kind of stuff. That that just feel too icky and creepy and, and too weird, too too fanatical and crazy, and it's like, well, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna do my hermeneutical gymnastics <laughs> over here to make these things go away, while I hold to the core items of the faith. Of course, the problem with that is they both both columns, both buckets come from the same source. Yeah. And the second problem is nothing 
you believe about the supernatural world or even the concept of salvation is testable. Nothing about that conforms to a modern, post-Enlightenment Western worldview. Zero. It's a goose egg, okay? <laughs> Nothing conforms to that that you believe. But somehow we've convinced ourselves that that my, my unbelieving atheist neighbor will respect me if I believe column A, but he won't respect me if I believe column B. Well, honestly, you shouldn't <laughs> care. You know, it's just, you know, yeah. the, we, don't, we don't know how any of this works. It's not even an appropriate question. What we ought to be asking is, is it coherent? Okay, are these things coherent? What do I mean by that? Well, I, sh I shift from this scientific testability model, like how things work, you know, in the natural world or something, to, okay, well, let, let's take the propositions. You know, and, and, the, and the, the initial fundamental proposition is there is a God as opposed to there's not. Because if there is, he probably creates with intention. He can certainly share his attributes with his creatures, whether they're supernatural, you know, non-embodied or embodied or immaterial or material. He can do any of this, any of this stuff. So if he can do any of that stuff, it stands to reason that he could create beings that, that have amazing capacities and they can do this or that, whether we're told about it or not. I mean, good grief. I could, I could take a graduate class today at Harvard in synthetic biology and create a new life form. That's me. Okay, that's a human being. We're, we're kind of low on the pecking order here when it comes to supernatural beings and then God. Okay, soulmate, we're a little lower than Elohim or the angels, you know. Okay, that's us. So it would stand to reason that if we believe God created us with these capacities to, to, to learn and create and adapt and blah, 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 that he could do that in the supernatural world too. Why, why can't he? In other words, all of these propositions, the wacky stuff, what we think is wacky, they all extend from the reality of God and his activities, his abilities. They are coherent. Uh -huh. Okay? They're not testable. I don't know how they work. <laughs> and like the virgin, but how does that work? To even use that term is, is, to, is, to, is to shift the supernatural thing into the material world. Right. Okay? That's what that question does. And I'm sorry, but nothing you believe conforms to that. So deal with it. Live with it. <laughs> get used to it. You know? Own it. I mean, that, that, that's just the way it is. But these things yeah. are coherent. They have been tested by believers and non-believers for their coherence, like philosophically and the rules of logic and all that, for millennia. Oh, and yeah. they're doing okay. <laughs> they're still here. Yeah. yeah. And you can't, uh, you can't believe in a supernatural salvation that Christ brings if you don't believe no. in some level of the supernatural. So, yeah, See, it's, it it's not a, a tension with, with most people because they never think of it. So now I guess my, my public <laughs> service on this podcast is to, is to introduce tension into the, lot, into the minds of people watching, Yeah, <laughs> uh, which, which I don't mind doing, but it wasn't my intention coming on here. But it, it, is, it is something that we do need to, to come to terms with. But even if, you, if you're going to live with the inconsistency, as long as you don't think that salvation is, in, is found in any other, okay, yeah. and, and you, you respond appropriately to the gospel, you know, you, you will be saved. You, know, you, you don't need any of this you know, for that. So I just think that so unity to solved. me personally, it became an issue of honesty.
Mm-hmm. That, that that's my own personal thing that I had to, as an academic especially, and I'm I'm probably wired that way. You know, like I, <laughs> I I had to come to terms with this and realize that I'm I'm not, I'm just not being honest here. Mm. Yeah. All right. All right. So, uh, Josh mentioned it earlier. Uh, <laughs> you have some pretty unique stances on a, a whole lot of things. Uh, we thought it might be fun to bring back our speed round. It has been absent uh, for those of you who have been listening. We haven't done it in a while. Uh, so I'm just going to ask you the following questions. Uh, we can't ask you any follow-ups. And If, if I answer pugs to all of them, will that be okay? Is it? Yes. <laughs> yes. It's not going to work. <laughs> uh, there is one rule, one other rule, one rule for you. Uh, we ask that you answer each of these questions in a single sentence. Okay. Or you can skip it. You can right. skip it if you want. All right. A lot of skips. How, how long can the sentence be? Uh, if it is, <laughs> if it's grammatically sound, it is allowed. <laughs> yeah, just make sure you include all your punctuation. Uh, all right. All right. You ready? This is going to be an epic day for commas. Okay, but go ahead. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what is the gospel? The gospel is the good news that God has become man in Christ and has given himself sacrificially and voluntarily for the forgiveness of our sins so that we could be removed from the curse of death and have everlasting life and be restored to God's family. All right. Yeah, that was a sentence. That's, that's a sentence that, that counts, out. yeah. Uh, do you believe in the doctrine of the elect? I do, although I think election has been fundamentally misunderstood. All right. Are you more Calvinist or Arminian? It depends what the... All right. Well, to the Calvinist, I'm more Arminian. <laughs> because Calvinists seem seem to seem to have this notion that they're the only ones that understand the doctrine of salvation... And that they get to define all the terms. Right. I disagree. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I mean, we, we could go into the, the elect problem here, but I'm not going to. Right. I'm going to obey you. All right. So Thank you. Go ahead. Uh, I can't believe this is the speed round question, but what are your beliefs on the Trinity? There is one. See, now look how easy that was. Excellent. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, look at Again, I wish I could elaborate, but I'm trying to be good here. Uh, do you believe in the continuation of the gifts of the Spirit? I, I, I am what is called cautiously open. So that is, I, I'm not a cessationist, so you know, I, I could answer yes to that question. But I do not equate the ongoing possibility of the gifts with what we call today the charismatic movement. Mm. I think those things are distinct and separable. All right. Uh, is baptism of the Holy Spirit evidenced by speaking in tongues? No. Uh, was the flood of Genesis 6 global or regional? Oh, it could be either from Scripture. I I kind of like the regional view for for the way it would help in certain passages with certain questions. But I think either is exegetically possible. 
He's talking about giants. Let, well, that, that's part <laughs> of it. But but here, you, if you want to know where what what it really comes down to, it's an odd verse. It's Genesis nine nineteen. I think I got this right. Let me look it up real quick here. I'm ruining your speed right. round, but I, I'm 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 reserve. I'm taking some of my time for that no answer. Okay, I'm taking back some. Right, of my time. right. <laughs> All right, so here's Genesis 9, 19. These three were the sons of Noah, you know, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And from these, the people of the whole earth were dispersed. You notice that whole earth is a phrase that shows up in the flood narrative. Exactly the same thing, kol, you know, kol aretz or ha'aretz. So that would suggest that we define the whole earth by the nations that extend from Shem, Ham, and Japheth, which are listed in Genesis 10, and that is a regional earth. In other words, the whole earth is that region. So you can have your cake and eat it too, sort right. of. Go ahead. All right. Uh, when, if ever, do you believe it is okay to practice Midrash? Well, me personally, I don't practice Midrash ever. So I don't think it's ever appropriate. If a New Testament writer repurposes the Old Testament and uses Midrash, he has my permission because he's operating under inspiration. But for right. myself, I'm not operating under inspiration, so I'm not going to do Midrash myself. All right. Uh, how many, if any, of the seven sacraments do you practice? Well, I'm... I'm I don't like the word sacrament, but I'm married, so I guess, <laughs> I guess I <laughs> at least one. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, and the reason I don't like—I was in a church that was a Reformed church that that used the sacramental language, and so I, I know that that the definition of that is is flexible. Um, yeah, I don't think we do anything to receive saving grace. Okay, because that's like doing something and then getting a little piece of the gospel with it. Like like the gospel is a bunch of Cheetos or something. You know, I'll have three or four today and then I'll come back to the box and get some more. <laughs> um, I don't believe that. But if, if the idea is is doing things to assist us in a sanctifying sanctification way that it just helps us grow as believers, you know, then I, I'm not so bent out of shape over the language. All right. Uh, and that is the last question in the speed round. Uh, however, now that it is over, uh, do you think VeggieTales is midrash? <laughs> oh, gosh. You know what? I, I, I believe that would have to qualify, you know. So, if, Aha! That's a really good illustration. We've had this debate before. No, that's a good illustration, actually. I, that, that might be, you know... Are they are they really saying like in the Jonah episode, Pishrel? You know, this is its interpretation. Exactly. Okay, I yeah, like, I, I, I don't know. Right. Um, it might yeah, be we, a little bit too harsh, but it's not a bad illustration of of the, right. the idea. Yeah, we argued about that for a while a couple weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. If it is midrash, it is not interpretive midrash. <laughs> I, I, I think that's probably safe to say. Um. Anyway, yeah. so um, it's a lot to think in, about. In reading, it's, it's, it, it's, it's really spirit, spirit midrash. <laughs> yeah, spirit of the I've law been, versus the letter. Okay. Yeah, I've been. I've really been struggling with that one <laughs> ever since we mentioned it. Um, 
Oh, anyway. Um, so like in that. the Unseen Realm and in your podcast and in this podcast already, actually, uh, you mentioned stuff like other gods. And um, I don't know if you've mentioned giants on this podcast yet, but you do talk about giants a decent amount in some of your books and stuff and uh, the Nephilim and all that. Um which makes it seem like you're taking the Bible really literally. But um, I read some of your early Genesis stuff that I was kind of questioning whether or not you were taking that literal. So I just kind of wanted to ask you, um, would you say that you're a literalist when concerning the Bible or how, how do you read it in that kind of manner? I, I don't I don't think it's something that we can pick or that we need to pick literal or non-literal. So the problem is, is that pe- when people hear non-literal, they think not real. Okay, so I, I'm a realist, and that can be expressed by, you know, in some cases, the best way to see the realia, you know, that's academies for real stuff. Okay, right. The realia of, of, of the Bible, sometimes it's best to take what's said literally, again, whatever that means, but face value. <laughs> um, and sometimes it's it's far better to take it symbolically or metaphorically. But non-literal does not mean not real. It means real in a different way, or I think even better, real in a transcendent way. In other words, metaphor and yeah. symbol can in many cases be more real than a face value reading of something, which can actually limit what a writer is saying in, in some uh-huh. pretty unfortunate ways. Right. So I don't, I don't like either term because again, of what's loaded onto non-literal in, in, in the heads of most Christians. I don't think it's a helpful, uh, helpful way to go. Um, and we can, we can branch off yeah. that, but that's, that's how I would, would answer that. Right. So we're there. Well, like, how about an illustration? Leviathan. I'm sorry, but this isn't a dinosaur. You know, no apologies at all to Ken Ham from me, okay? <laughs> this is not a dinosaur. Leviathan is known from very ancient Canaanite, that is, pagan literature. The exact word, the same name, okay? Leviathan is a metaphor for chaos because it's a great, untamable beast that lives in the sea, and the sea is a place that humans cannot live. The sea is threatening. It's deadly. Okay, It's something to be feared. It's unpredictable. It is chaotic. So Leviathan becomes a metaphor, not just in the Bible, but, but across the board, for the concept of things that threaten human life and existence, uh, that are just bad, bad things can happen. Okay, and that's important because it is the God of Israel who tames Leviathan. It is the God of Israel that essentially has Leviathan on a leash in certain examples. It's the God of Israel that to him, Leviathan is a plaything. It can only do what he permits it to do. I mean, there's all sorts of Psalm 74. It's drawn into the Exodus imagery, you know, with with the sea. Well, who controls the sea? Who split it? Okay. <laughs> who slew the sea? That would be the God of Israel. In the New Testament, who walks on the water? Peter. Who, who tells, <laughs> yeah, well, after, sort of, for a little while anyway. Um, you know, who, who, who is the one that says to the, to the waves, peace be still? 
shut up. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> you know, I mean, th- these, these are acts of lordship that were well understood. In the book of Revelation, there's no more sea in the, in the, in the new heaven <laughs> or the new earth. Well, that must mean there's no more salt water. What do we do now, Betsy? You know, no. It, again, that's the literalist. There's no more salt water. No, 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 no. That, that's that's ridiculously restrictive. What it means is there's no more chaos. There's yeah. nothing in this new world that is anti-Eden. Because right. Eden is the polar opposite of chaos. Eden is the way everything should be. Chaos is the way everything shouldn't be. So in the Psalms, the psalmist wasn't saying that uh, God took a sea dragon and split it in two, and that's how we got the earth? No, no. That, <laughs> it, you know, Psalm that's 74. My most overlooked verse. <laughs> well, yeah, Psalm 74 is, is important for, you know, and Psalm 89, you get the same language. Yeah. Because they're drawing on stories that were current both in Mesopotamia, if indeed these passages go back to Tiamat, and basically displacing Marduk as the one who brought order into the world and created a world for humans that was habitable. No, I'm sorry, Marduk didn't do that. That's the God of Israel that did that. So, like, get your theology right. If, on the other hand, it refers to Canaanite literature and not Mesopotamia, in other words, Litanu, Leviathan in, in Canaan, then it's not a, a reference back to Genesis. What it's a reference back to is the Baal cycle. And why Why does Baal slay Yom? What does Baal get? What, what status does he earn when he, when he splits and you know, destroys Yom, the sea, and Leviathan? He gets kingship over all the nations. I'm sorry, but Baal is not king of the nations. The God of Israel is. You know... These are important passages because we would read them like, again, oh, it must be a dinosaur. Oh, there's no more salt water. I mean, that's the literalist approach. Look at what you're missing. You're missing sovereignty. You're missing kingship. You're missing, you know, Eden versus anti-Eden. I mean, these are really, 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 really important theological concepts. And the ancient reader is not thinking about, oh, you know, a few million, or not a few million, but a few thousand years from now, they're going to invent like Latin words that will tell me what that creature is. You know, I wish I knew it now. <laughs> no, they're not thinking about a, a literal animal. They understand what's being said here about who controls the world and everything and, 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 and what Eden means and its loss, what that means. They understand these things. It's it's a much more theologically fuller reading. So if I have to be a non-literalist to appreciate <laughs> big big concepts like that, that would have been like no brainers to the biblical person. Yeah, okay, I'll wave that flag all day long. <laughs> but again, I yeah. I just don't like the terminology generally. Right. Yeah. But uh, we we could still. It's still important to have unity with those who are literalist yeah i mean as far as you don't you don't go around and, go. yeah yeah i don't i i have my theological gun holstered um you know it <laughs> yeah you know it, it's true because i i've just learned that it's you know at the end of the day because i i take a lot of q a i i take a lot of it live you know at conferences and interviews mm-hmm. and stuff like that 
and especially if 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 it's live, you know, and you're in front of people. Because I've I've been in. Look, you haven't lived until you've gone through the Romans Road at a UFO conference. Okay, you just haven't lived until you've done that. Um, or or you know, debunked ancient aliens to 500 hostile people. Then you're looking for the exits. You know, it's just. But but when people ask you a question, my tactic is is typically I might be thinking. Okay, that's just a ridiculous question. I I would just, you know, no rational human being should be thinking that thought. But I'm never going to say that. What I'm going to do is I'm going to say, okay, here's what I need from you to switch sides. Here's what I need from you to to come over to where you are and, and embrace what you believe. And I'll give them the grocery list. You know, I need to see this. I need this set of data. I need that, you know. I give them five or six things, and and it's it's much better to do that because you're not dismissive when you do that. You're you're essentially giving them homework, and I might be thinking as well. You don't have a prayer of producing these things, and I already know that. But I but I, I'm trying to to take your question seriously because it matters to you, and I want you to go through the exercise of looking for the things that I need if you really want to convert me. Because if you do that, you're going to find out, oh, I got some real holes in what I believe. Maybe I should reconsider my position. Yeah. You know, so that's, and of course, somehow if they did come up with those things, <laughs> probably think about it. <laughs> no, it, it, when, it, when it comes to the church, most of the, most of the stuff, whether it's, you know, wh- whether it's crazy or not crazy, it's just something that is ambiguous in, in the scripture, you know? Yeah. And there's all like the flood. There's all sorts of these things. At the end of the day, the, your position on that does not alter the gospel. It doesn't redefine it. It doesn't reduce Jesus to some like guy that Oprah would endorse. You know, it <laughs> it doesn't do any of these things. And so, okay, bless you know, yeah. bless you. Be warmed and filled. Evidently, this this idea that that you love really means something to you. If it keeps you in the Bible, that's a good thing. You know, it's a good thing. Oh, yeah. For sure. No, I, I'm content. I, I'm only taking shots at people that I know, <laughs> and, and usually they know they're doing it too, um, <laughs> that are trying to redefine, you know, core core doctrines of the faith. They're trying to undermine people's faith. You know, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll throw the grenades at those people all day long. <laughs> But there aren't that many of them. They usually lurk on the internet and forums and things like this. Right. You know, they're not usually the person yeah. sitting next to you at church. That's true. So you've been on plenty of other shows for interviews. You've probably done more interviews than we have podcast episodes. Uh, is there a question that you wanted to be asked but haven't been asked yet? Gosh, are there many? <laughs> or at least something you haven't been asked a lot. Well, that that's a little easier and I'll, and I'll make it broad. I I'm I'm very rarely asked about anything personal. Oh. <laughs> it's you know, it's all and, and I'm okay with that because I'm I'm on the show not to talk about me. I'm I'm on the show to talk about the content. But but that's the easy answer to that question. Right. That almost never, you know, happens. Yeah, maybe we um, should I, have a. All right, go ahead. I was going to say I, I, I'm also rarely asked about my fiction. 
because you know people just they, they don't they're not as familiar with that because of unseen realm and again i'm okay with that too because it's fiction i'd rather have more people into the non-fiction but the fiction is fun but yeah all right yeah. i feel like it'd be like uh c.s lewis being on a podcast probably not that many people would ask him about a space trilogy i might <laughs> right. but, uh, great trilogy. yeah I, probably that's probably right you know they're going to be asking about all the other stuff and his conversion and you know mere christianity all that stuff right <laughs> well um how about this could you could you tell us something that maybe not a lot of people know about you um sure i mean i've already alluded to i've I've spoken at UFO conferences. Probably a lot of people don't know that. <laughs> I'm published in a Mormon academic journal critiquing really? Mormonism's use of Psalm 82. That's kind of odd. <laughs> That's and, and they asked actually. for it. <laughs> they asked well, for the article, so that sure. makes it even stranger. <laughs> I like I like baseball simulation games. Oh yeah, really? I, I, I grew up playing playing APA. A P B A is the abbreviation. It used to be the company was about forty five minutes from where I lived in Pennsylvania, and it's it's since has been moved to Georgia. But yeah, I love that. It kept me out of trouble. I'm <laughs> I'm kind of a baseball nerd, you know, a stats nerd. Um, so that's a that's an odd thing. If it was hockey, we'd have a whole other podcast start right now. <laughs> that's true. TJ loves could, hockey. Yeah. I, I, you know, when I was in high school, junior high and high school, I did follow hockey a lot. I was a big Blackhawks fan. I loved Tony Esposito. Of oh. his brother Phil played for Boston. You know. Right. It wasn't like today, though. Was I mean, it? when when it, when it was on, I mean, you you watched it because it might be another <laughs> month or two months before you ever saw a game. You know. Yeah. I had the tabletop hockey games. I loved those. I have one. You know. I, was, yeah, I actually I have one that was made during the original six era. <laughs> Wow. So that's like cool. yeah. Was it Dr. Greg Allison? Was he is that his team too? Yeah, he was the Blackhawks fan. Yeah, Stan uh, Makita. Yeah, that. Tony Esposito was their goalie, Bill White, Bobby Hall. I mean, it was just Man. You know. Nice. The, yeah, the old great stuff. ones. Yeah, that was good stuff. But well, you, you know, know when so when they started filling the rosters with people who had names that needed vowels, you know, like, can I buy a vowel? Right. And it was <laughs> <laughs> I can't. The names get too hard. I don't know how to pronounce anyone's name. Yeah, they get rough. They definitely get rough. Man, you ought to just give them numbers. You know, just go by the numbers. Go number. No, no names on the jerseys. Just numbers. (laughs) I go by numbers and colors. I like red three. (laughs) Um, Well, I another one is I I went to high school with Sam Bowie, um, who is infamous for getting drafted ahead of Michael Jordan. You know. That's it's not, not his cool. fault, you know. But that, <laughs> that's actually my my go to illustration of how clueless I was and directionless I was in high school. So I'll I'll, I'll tell you guys this story. I mean, I don't want to fill your the rest of the time, you know, as we have it with a story. But so I, it's tenth grade, and I'm supposed to take my SAT. Okay, everybody has to take SATs, right? I didn't yeah. really know what it was. All I all I knew was I had to show up at school on a Saturday morning, which which just didn't make me happy. So I show up and I, you know, you fill in the little bubbles and okay, you know, I, I took this test now. Are you happy? You know, you go to hand it in and she won't take it. The the, the proctor won't take the, the test and it's like, why? What's wrong with it? She goes, well, you have to you have to put in your you know a number here at at the end. I said, well, 
what's the number about? Well, that's where you want your scores sent. Yeah. Like, like these are going to get sent <laughs> somewhere. I mean, I had no idea, you know, it's you won't <laughs> let me leave until I, I put a number in here. So I put in the university of Kentucky. Okay. I, I, you know, we're in Pennsylvania. So like, what does that have to do with anything? I thought, well, if I go to Kentucky, I'll, I'll know somebody, you know, it's Sam. Cause he, you know, he was going to Kentucky. He's at Kentucky. Yes. My dad's and that was it. Uh, basketball team. Yeah. You know that, that was, yeah. that was the extent of my thought process. <laughs> you know, like how in the world did I ever even get into college? You know, um, I didn't know what to do. I, I literally asked my pastor when I graduated from high school, like, what should I do? Cause nobody in my family had gone to college. You no, know, I mean, I, I didn't know, I didn't know that people until Sam, you know, this was in high school. I didn't know that, that athletes got paid, you know, in term in the form of tuition, right? They could get a free ride. <laughs> I, mean, I, I didn't know anything about the whole college thing, you know? So I, I asked my yeah. pastor, like, what should I do? And he said, well, why don't you try Bible college? You know, go, go to Bible college for at least a year and see if you like it. So I said, okay, I'll do that. You know, how'd that go? Yeah, I love it. <laughs> uh, well, let's see again, another interesting story. Cause my, yeah, my parents out it worked out well. Going to call. Remember that? They, yeah. Uh, they yeah. So they, it's just unbelievable. We were gonna we were gonna take like ten kids and crowd them into two cars for this twelve hundred mile trip, and 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 my my parents are like, for months you're not going, you're not going, you're not going, you know, and, and then like two weeks before we're supposed to go, and they know that I'm bent on going. They let us use their mobile home to go, which was like, what? Did you plant a bomb in it? You know. Right. <laughs> You're just gonna take us all out. Sure. Take the pastor out with my with my kid in the cult, you know. <laughs> so we wound up doing that, but they said, now you're gonna you, you, we're gonna let you go, but you're not going to school there. Okay. So we take the trip. And I again I, I, I to this day I wonder if I should have done it. You know, God can use sin as well, I guess, but I turned in an application. Knowing my parents didn't want me to do that, but I turned in the application. And here's how here's how dumb I was. It didn't hit me that they would actually mail the response back to my house. <laughs> I, I I never never gave it a, a second thought. Well, when that letter came, that was not a good day. Right. <laughs> so yeah. it just gosh, you know, like oh, I said, man. I could fill an hour with. Like you got to be kidding, you know? Just <laughs> how dumb could you possibly be? That's funny. Yeah, but, but I mean, it worked out. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, somehow it did. You know, it, yeah, benefited at least a hundred thousand, right? <laughs> I mean, everybody got that book. No, my oh, my man. parents eventually became believers. It took t over twenty years, and they they admitted to me after they became believers that they, when I was in high school, they said. We used to do things and say things in front of you just to see what you would do. Classic. Hmm. Just basically, they wanted to know if it was real. Like, because again, they're thinking I'm just a, a crazy cult person kid or something. You know, yeah. so they, they owned that. And, you know, I, my pastor just said, obey your parents, do the best you can, obey your parents. We know you're, they're not going to let you do things and go. 
come to church, you know, here and there. And, you know, we got it just, you know, just, you know, obey your parents and they'll, they'll, they'll see that you're not in a cult and all this other stuff that they were talking about. And that was the right thing to do. It just took, you know, a long, long, long time. (laughs) Right. Which a lot of lessons packed into that one story, really. But man, that's, that's fantastic. Um, Anyway, uh, there's just one last question we always like to ask people before we wrap up here. And that's just, um, if someone's listening, just, you know, your ordinary lay person goes to church every Sunday, you know, whatever. Um, if there's, well, if you could give them just one single thing that they could do that would help better maintain unity in the church, what one thing could they do? I would say try to try to give people the benefit of the doubt. You know, and maybe a better way to say that is, is don't think that part of your mission as a believer is to always be right, like, you know, to win an argument. Typically, they're not important. You know, you don't, you really don't know the issue as well as you think you do. And the other person probably doesn't either. But that's not why you're there. You know, you're, you're there to, to try to encourage each other to, to take scripture seriously, to take discipleship seriously. Um, you know, so don't, that's not part of your mission, you know, to, to win arguments and things like that. So that, that would be certainly one thing. And and if I, I'll add this too, this is a, a separate distinct <laughs> thought. If there's something about your church that you don't like, okay, rather than, than sort of be operate within the consumeristic bent of today, well, I'm just going to go to a different church. Okay. You probably have good reasons for staying. So don't let that one thing that you don't like drive you out, but fill the gap yourself. I'm not being taught. Okay. The preaching shallow, start a Bible study, do it yourself because I can pretty much guarantee you that there's going to be five or six other people in there that feel the same way and you need to find them and they can find you. And then you'll all be happier. You know, you'll all, you'll all get that itch scratched and you don't have to be divisive, you know, while, while doing it. So those would be, I get, you got two for one there, but I think those are simple things <laughs> that are, are useful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think we, we may have lost TJ, but, um, man, I wish some, someone could have told me, uh, before I went to college that my mission wasn't to be right. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, but uh. So that being said, uh, sorry, I've got to do TJ's part now. Um, what would happen if we all did that? If we all stuck with our church and didn't make our mission just to be right? What would we see change? I think we. I think we would just generally get along more. We would. You know what? Th- just think of the family metaphor. There are going to be a few things that you know need to be addressed or otherwise they would destroy the family. Mm-hmm. It's a real small list. If we let all the other things slide, though, again, the other people in the family know that they can trust us with a conversation. They can trust us with a question or a doubt or something they're afraid of or whatever. It, it just it opens the lines of communication. It builds some trust. 
you know, it begins to feel like, okay, we're all in each other's corner here, even though we have disagreements. You know, the, the, the things that are fundamental that essentially put the roof over our head or, or, or make us a family, we're, we're not, we're not going to compromise on those things. But there's so many other things that don't matter as much. And and I'm not I'm not inventing this the re, the brutal reality and you know for for people who care about scripture this is something you need to come to grips with there are things some things in the Bible are not as clear as other things that's true some people just can't admit that okay but that is the reality of scripture if you don't think that then you don't know scripture very well you just don't okay there there's more in there about the deity of Christ than the origin of the soul, okay, or you know some other yeah. peripheral, you know, when is the Lord coming back? What's the right end times, you know, system? I'm sorry, but those things lack the clarity of other things, and that ought to that ought to tell us if there's a small list of things that that God was really invested in, as far as making sure nobody in the body of Christ missed this one. In other words, providentially giving us greater clarity about a certain number of things, then that ought to be the list that we pay attention to the most. And the other yeah. stuff, we just, you, you got to let it go. I mean, have your position, you know, enjoy it, think about the other ones, but let, let other people have the, the space to disagree with you. Yeah, it's amazing how many conversations I had at a Charleston Southern that were just about how God experiences time. And I don't think that's really, I mean, it's sort of mentioned in the Bible, but only as like a, I guess, like a metaphor kind of thing. Not, I don't know. It, it's not an important topic, the point. So Yeah, it only becomes I, I important when, when people try to pull one answer for that out of the hat and then use it to undermine something about the character of God. <laughs> But but the list yeah. of people who are going to do that again is small. They live on the internet. They're usually you know trolls of some kind. It's very rarely the person sitting next to you in church. You know. Yeah, and probably even more rare that it's the other people in your Bible class at a college, <laughs> Christian college. You know, they yeah. they at least know the stuff well enough that it, it's probably not that. Um, <laughs> that being said, so we. We like to uh, – sorry, I was trying to see where TJ is at. Uh, his charger broke, so I don't think he's going to be joining us the rest of this. But uh, one thing we like to do um, before we close up is just our God moment segment. And that's where we just share something God's been up to with us recently, whether a uh, blessing, challenge, anything like that. Um, TJ would have stolen mine if he was here because he likes to do that when he thinks he can. Mm -hmm. So I get to – Beat him by being kind to him. So that's fun. Um, I'm going to let my God moment be that uh, this last weekend, I went to one of my friend's beach house and TJ drove probably about two hours to get here and watched our animals and um, was just a fantastic friend. I was under the impression that he was coming to hang out with some of his other friends in the, Char the Charlotte area. And turns out he didn't do that at all. So um, I was blessed to have a good friend like TJ and uh, challenged to maybe be better at uh, being like TJ in that that kind of way and helping others. So, so uh, yeah. anyway, <laughs> yeah. Uh, did you have anything God's been up to with you? Yeah, I, I, I would say I, you know, I'm, I'm 58 and 
I mean, they're not nothing major, but um, I'm not going to say I feel old because I don't. <laughs> but but I I'm usually one of these people that like never ever goes to the doctor, you know. And I haven't had a problem since I since fourth grade, like literally, you know. <laughs> But it's like there's just these little nagging things that that have reintroduced me to the fact that I'm mortal. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. what's been on my mind a lot is, you know, do there are just some things that I need to do before I die. And, and as, as soon as you start fretting about that, it's like, dude, <laughs> you know, like like <laughs> all all of the things that that again in in, in God's providence that have. You know, he's just taken care of. Just, just let it go. You know, it's it's not like I have to arrange a schedule for God to follow. <laughs> you know, for whatever yeah. purpose. So I, 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 I needed to, I needed that kind of reminder that, look, yes, live intentionally. You know, the Lord has called you to do certain things, but but the future's not in your hands. So, so stay in your lane. Don't <laughs> don't worry about it. Yeah. Just do the best you can. The, the Lord knows what he's dealing with. He has a plan. Just let him work the plan. So I, I needed the reminder. That um, reminds me of some uh, wise words I heard in a movie once. Uh, Hakuna Matata, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, sorry. Just every time I hear the phrase, no worries, I, my mind just goes there. It's a problem. <laughs> anyway, um, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we have one more thing for you right after the show, but uh, just for our patron listeners. So Y'all go over on Patreon. Y'all, y'all can kind of hear that. Um, it won't take any much more of your time at all. Sure. Um, yeah. But if you enjoyed this episode, please consider just sharing it with a friend. Something simple you could do to help us out. Um, Dr. Heiser, where else can people find your books and where can they find your podcast? Yeah, the podcast is nakedbiblepodcast.com. Books, of course, you can find at Amazon. Uh, the, the nerve center for everything I'm sort of involved in is my homepage. That's dr, as in doctor, drmsh.com. So pretty much anything I've done in the past or I'm into now, you can find a link you know, to that. Um, the, the, new, the newest thing is, you know, I have, in effect, I have my own school here in Jacksonville. We do a two-year certificate program. The first year we go through the content of Unseen Realm in 30 weeks, so two semesters. And then I do two semesters of what I call postmodern apologetics, where we, we talk a, a lot about subjects that, you know, are, are threatening to, to believers, typically that they'll see on TV or the Internet, or things like that. Yeah. So that's schooloftheology.com. I don't know when this is going to air, but right now we're <laughs> in uh, an early bird registration for the fall. But uh, schooloftheology.com. So if you're interested in especially Unseen Realm stuff, you know, that would be the place to go. It's the only place I teach through the book is that school. Yeah, yeah And it's uh, definitely worthwhile. Um, if you haven't checked out his book, The Unseen Realm, I definitely suggest you all do that. Um, you can learn a lot more about some of the stuff we mentioned here, the Deuteronomy 32. I know we threw kind of flew by a lot of topics that you might be more interested in. Definitely worth reading. Um, he does a lot of other books that great oh, they're all great um <laughs> but uh some future guests we're gonna have uh pastor chris galloway is coming back again we're gonna be talking about some of the different numbers in the bible um we're gonna have former mennonite and christian life coach gloria godrin on soon uh dave ebert who is the host of gifts for glory podcast and then of course at the end of this season we might 
and might not have Francis Chan. Uh, we're going to keep saying it until it happens, or we'll never have an end of the season. So yeah. we'll see. <laughs> uh, that being said, I uh, hope y'all tune back in next week.